Welcome to the May 31st, 2019 edition of the Crypto.IQ Daily Radio Show, where we do a deep dive market analysis every day and talk about the most interesting stories in the Bitcoin and crypto space. This is your host, Space Marine, live from space. So Bitcoin had a really chaotic and interesting past 24 hours. So yesterday at about noon, Bitcoin hit a new 2019 high of $9,030. And everyone on crypto Twitter was posting, it's over 9,000, because that's what they say on Dragon Ball Z when Goku is powering up or whatever for the first time. So yeah, that was the meme that was used when Bitcoin went over 9,000, but it lasted literally for like maybe like two minutes. And then Bitcoin immediately dropped down to like 8,600 by 1 p.m. Eastern Time. And then after that, around 4 p.m. Eastern Time, Bitcoin began to drop more quickly and actually went all the way down to $8,000. So what happened at 8,000 was there was this big uh, support wall. So there was a lot of buy support at 8,000 and Bitcoin rammed right into that buy support wall and took out a lot of it, but some of it remained. It was such a big buy support wall. I was watching it on the Bitstamp order book dev chart. So Bitcoin ended up bouncing off of 8,000 and immediately went back up to $8,200, $8,300. And then overnight, Bitcoin was kind of hanging around $8,300 and went down to $8,100 around 1 a.m. Eastern Time. And since then, Bitcoin was steadily rising until about an hour ago. At 8 a.m., Bitcoin was at $8,200. And then now it's quickly risen all the way up to $8,440 before retracing downwards a bit. Right now, as I speak, Bitcoin's at $8,400. So this morning, Bitcoin has gone up pretty quickly. And that coincides with the stock market being down over 200 points. So the Dow Jones Industrial Average is down over 200 points. That's about 1% for the Dow Jones. And what happened with the stock market is Trump, well, we all know about Trump issuing tariffs against China. That's the Chinese trade war. Well, President Trump of the United States also says he's issuing tariffs against Mexico on all of their imports into the United States. So the tariffs are starting at 5% on June 10th and then going up to 25% on October 1st. So that's a major hit for the Mexican economy and even the American economy for companies and people that depend on importing stuff from Mexico. So that's why the stock market is in the red this morning. And just the backstory of that for one second is that Trump says he's going to keep the tariffs and then raise the tariffs gradually until Mexico stops the illegal immigration crisis. So that's just another story for a different type of show. But the stock market's going down because of that. And the crypto connection with that is... Bitcoin has managed to go up about $200 in the past hour or so, and the opening bell is in about 15 minutes from now. I'm doing this right at like 9.15 a.m. Eastern Time. So, yeah, we have often seen that in the recent past where if the Dow Jones futures is like way down, then Bitcoin can go up. So that might be what's happening at this moment. But there's also another even more important factor. The CME Bitcoin futures expiration is happening at 11 a.m. Eastern Time. That's only about an hour and a half from now. So when the CME Bitcoin futures expiration happens, all the contracts from May expire and settle. So the price Bitcoin's at right at 11 a.m. Eastern Time in an hour and a half from now, that's the price that closes the contracts on CME Bitcoin futures, which is like the only Bitcoin futures in the United States. So it's pretty major. And... People have been going long this month, obviously, on CME Bitcoin futures. So the higher Bitcoin's price is at 11 a.m. Eastern time, the more money they get. So maybe that has a lot more to do with it than even the stock market. They could be trying to manipulate the price upwards at this moment. And that might also explain why Bitcoin went up to 9,000 yesterday. Perhaps CME Bitcoin futures traders were coordinating to try to cause a big rally 
that would take us maybe even to 10,000 before the expiration of the contract, but there was a lot of selling pressure at 9,000, so it seems like there is really strong resistance for Bitcoin at 9,000, and it would be a very hard struggle, I think, based on what I saw yesterday, for Bitcoin to get past 9,000. That is a hard resistance level. So now what happens after the CME Bitcoin futures expiration? So in the next hour and a half, it's possible Bitcoin will go up right before that expiration, but what happens after? Well, CME Bitcoin futures traders collectively can either go long and bet on Bitcoin going up in June or go short. And there is plenty of reasons Bitcoin could go up. The stock market's looking quite weak. We have those Chinese tariffs and the Mexican tariffs now. So that's the economy's looking really weak compared to what it was, besides the huge debt bubble and all that stuff going on. So stocks doing poorly kind of leaves Bitcoin as one of the only profitable choices for investors because bond rates are going towards zero, stocks are doing poorly, gold isn't even going up that much, gold's kind of flat, especially compared to Bitcoin. So Bitcoin's like the number one most profitable asset in 2019. So that could be a good reason to go long in June, but also simultaneously we're seeing harder and harder resistance as we go up towards 9,000. So just looking at the one week chart, Bitcoin went up to $8,800 on Sunday evening and then it couldn't really get past that and it kind of went down all week until yesterday when it briefly spiked to 9,000 but then got pushed down hard so we seem to have really strong resistance so maybe it's easier for CME Bitcoin futures traders to short the market in June and like take a huge short instead of trying to go long through this really hard resistance it could go either way though so we're going to just have to watch Bitcoin's price after the expiration at 11 a.m. And we got to watch it for like a week. It takes sometimes up to a week to figure out which way the Bitcoin market is going after a CME Bitcoin features expiration. But in general, if Bitcoin is going up like a week after, like it's above where it was at the expiration, like a week after the expiration, that's a good sign it's going to go up for the month. And if it's below that, it's a good sign it's going to go down for the month. So it's a really good leading indicator of what's going to happen for the rest of the month. And it's something that's important to watch. Moving on to the rest of the market analysis, major cryptocurrencies are generally in the red this morning. They were way deeper in the red actually an hour ago before Bitcoin went up like $200, but they're still deep in the red. So Ethereum is down 7.4%. It's near $262. Ripple is down 7%, near $0.43. Cents. Bitcoin Cash is down 7.7%, near $431. EOS is down 2.2%, near $8. So EOS is down in the past 24 hours despite Coinbase announcing they have added EOS to their retail exchange. So EOS is now an option on Coinbase and that's usually kind of a big deal when a major cryptocurrency gets added to Coinbase, but in this case, it was just bad timing. EOS is down less than some of the other cryptos this morning. So you kind of see a little bit of that Coinbase effect, but it wasn't enough of a Coinbase effect to make EOS actually go up in the past 24 hours. It's down 2.2%. Uh, just below $8. Litecoin is down 5.7% near $110. Binance Coin is down 5.6% near $32. Bitcoin SV is down 11.5%. So Bitcoin SV had that tremendous rally in the past week because Craig Gregg copyrighted Bitcoin's code and white paper. And then he said he's giving that copyright over to the Bitcoin Association, which owns Bitcoin SV software. So that made people want to buy Bitcoin SV. And then some fake news came out in China where they said Craig Wright proved he was Satoshi and he didn't. But that caused Bitcoin SV to rally tremendously. It went way over $200. But now Bitcoin SV is giving back those gains at a more rapid pace than the rest of the market. And it's down to $187, down 11.5%. 
Stellar is down 7.7%. Cardano is down 10.1%. Tron is down 8.8%. Monero is down 4.8% near $92. Dash is down 5.4% near $163. IOTA is down 8.1%. IOTA had a really good week too, but it's giving back some of those gains now. Down 8% near $0.48. Cents. Cosmos is down 8% after a rally yesterday. Tezos is down 11.1%. And then we have Dogecoin, which is up 2.3%. So Dogecoin has beaten the entire crypto market today. It's the only major cryptocurrency that's up, surprisingly, much while such excite. Currently, the total crypto market cap is $267 billion. That's a little better than it was when the crypto market hit its lowest prices overnight. It was actually around $257 billion. So it's up $10 billion since about 1 a.m. in the morning Eastern Time, but since that crypto market peak that happened yesterday at noon, it's down $20 billion. So the total crypto market cap has gone from $287 billion at noon yesterday to $257 billion at 1 a.m. in the morning, and then now it's gone back up to $267 billion. So like I said, it's quite a volatile and chaotic day with lots of interesting stuff going on. We had that 2019 high, and then it pretty much had a real crash. But now it's coming back a little bit at this moment. But the big important thing to watch is what happens after 11 a.m. Eastern Time. There might not be anything notable today, but in the week following this expiration at 11 a.m. today, that's very important to watch which way the Bitcoin and crypto market goes. Moving on to the first interesting story of the day. Yesterday on the show, we talked about how someone has also copyrighted Bitcoin's co white paper besides Craig Wright. So we touched on this in the market analysis too, where Craig Wright copyrighted Bitcoin's code and white paper. He told the copyright office that he is Satoshi Nakamoto. And apparently that just involves him signing a form that testifies that he is Satoshi and they don't investigate further. And someone else has also testified that they're Satoshi Nakamoto to the Copyright Office. So that's someone else's Wei Lu. And now we know who exactly he is. He's the CEO of CoinSummer, which is a crypto market research firm, and the CEO of a crypto fund called Marvelous Peach Capital. So he has the copyright for Bitcoin's white paper as well. And he's been quoted as saying, I filed it just to let people know anyone could register a copyright. Everyone could be Satoshi Nakamoto. So that just shows that all this hype that Bitcoin SV got over Craig Wright copywriting Bitcoin's code and white paper was kind of based on nothing. Anyone could do this. I could even do this. Me, Space Marine, could go to the copyright office and say that I am Satoshi Nakamoto. I would, it would just cost $50. I guess that's a great idea, but I'm probably not going to do that. But anyways, anyone could file a copyright for Bitcoin. So that's kind of crazy. And... He's also quoted saying, so Wei Lu also said, now we could both show our credentials and see who ends up wearing an orange suit. So that's pretty funny because an orange suit means like a prison suit. So he's saying basically like, hey, uh, why would anyone want to claim to be Satoshi? Because the government, like if the government really knew who Satoshi was, they'd probably charge Satoshi money laundering or something crazy. Even though Satoshi just created Bitcoin and was purely like a scientist and a computer programmer. There's like precedent in the law for people being charged with crimes if their program's used for crimes later. So Bitcoin's a great financial system, but as any financial system is, like it could also be used for bad things. So dollars, for example, are used for drugs all the time. Bitcoin is too. So yeah, I don't think the real Satoshi would want to put themselves out there publicly. And that kind of proves in its own way that Craig Wright is probably not Satoshi because 
the real Satoshi Nakamoto went through great lengths to not have his identity known. And then we have Craig Wright literally making his identity really known and really trying to claim he's Satoshi, which is opposite of the behavior that actual Satoshi would have. Besides the fact Craig Wright has not signed a message with the private key from Satoshi, he in fact did sign a message and said it was from the private key from Satoshi, and then people found out he kind of hacked the message and it wasn't really a signature from a private key that was original, so... Yeah, there's no proof that Craig Wright is Satoshi, and Wei Lu is just trying to show the world, hey, this copyright thing means nothing. So, that Bitcoin SV rally that took Bitcoin SV up from $62 to where it is now, at $186, was based on nothing. So, we'll see how Bitcoin SV's price evolves as people realize this. Moving on to the next story. Just an update on Bitcoin's hash rate. So, it hit an all-time high around August 2018, where it went almost like 63 exahash per second and then after that it was kind of hanging around 55 to 60 exahash per second for like a month or two through about october 2018 and then it crashed way down by like december during the bear market low it went down at almost to 30 exahash per second so it dropped by half that means like 50 percent of all the bitcoin mining rigs were turned off and that was because it cost more electricity than the Bitcoin they were mining to run the rigs. So half of the mining rigs turned off by the bear market low. But then it, it's all come back now pretty much. So the Bitcoin hash rate is now back between 55 and 60 exash per second. The most recent reading is like 59 exash per second. So most of the rigs that were turned off during the bear market low are turning back on. And that's a good sign for Bitcoin mining rig manufacturers like Bitmain which have struggled during the bear market, it basically means that all the excess supply of mining rigs is basically turned back on now. So that means if Bitcoin's price can rise further, if we can get through that $9,000 resistance, then people would probably start buying new rigs and that would really reinvigorate the Bitcoin mining manufacturers. While I'm on the subject of Bitcoin network statistics, let's talk about Bitcoin transaction fees. So the transaction frequency on the Bitcoin blockchain has been going up a lot during this recent bull run. And yeah, that's causing higher fees because the mempool, which is kind of like when a transaction is sent with Bitcoin, it first goes into the mempool, which is where all the unconfirmed transactions are sitting. And if a lot of transactions are being sent at once, the mempool grows in size. So right now we are continuing to see problems with that pretty much. The mempool at this moment is actually upwards of over 20 megabytes. And the highest points we've seen so far in the past couple of months since this rally really took off so the rally kind of really started to flare up at the end of march and right around april 1st the mempool went up to almost 50 megabytes and then it calmed down a bit but there's lots of spikes in between and then around may 15th may 16th the mempool went back up again to 45 megabytes and right now we're seeing it spike today to over 20 megabytes so even today we're seeing bitcoin transaction fees of five dollars and we've seen at points during the past couple of months fees of five to ten dollars pretty often so that's like a little too high of a fee for bitcoin because bitcoin should be used like a currency and if people are trying to buy a beer or a coffee with bitcoin and the transaction fee is like five or ten dollars that kind of ruins the point so when transaction fees get too high it ruins bitcoin's usability as a currency and it gets even worse. Right now, we haven't seen like any sort of worst case scenario yet. Like the mempool has been able to cool off even after the worst spikes in the past couple of months. Like after a few days, it it cools off and all the transactions get confirmed and the fees go back down towards like zero. But 
yeah, let's say that didn't happen. Let's say there were so many transactions because the bull run gets crazy that the mempool just gets overloaded for a long period of time, like over a week. Then transaction fees start climbing up to like 10 to $20. And the worst we ever saw it was during that bull run in late 2017, early 2018, when the transaction fees for Bitcoin went up to over $50 to $60. So right now it's just kind of like an inconvenience and kind of makes Bitcoin's usability as a currency not so great at this moment. But if it gets up to like $20 or $50, then it starts making like Bitcoin really unusable. Even for trading, it makes it very hard to use Bitcoin because people would lose like $50 just from sending their Bitcoin to the exchange or taking their Bitcoin out of the exchange. So that's a significant loss for most people, 50 bucks just for sending Bitcoin. Right now, it's not like that. Just to be clear, it's about $5 a transaction. So right now, the transaction fees are high enough to hamper Bitcoin's usability as a currency for everyday stuff like coffee or like a beer or like a vending machine or something. But yeah, it's something to watch. And the hope is that the Bitcoin Lightning Network will take control here and take the excess load of transactions off. But the Lightning Network is not yet ready. The capacity for the Lightning Network on average is about $150 per transaction. So that's like enough for small currency type stuff. So the Lightning Network is good for using Bitcoin as a currency. So that is a good solution if you want to buy a coffee or a beer or use a vending machine, you should use the Lightning Network. But yeah, we need the Lightning Network capacity to increase some more so people could use it for like all of their Bitcoin transactions. And then at that point, we would probably see the transaction fee spikes stop being so significant. The hope is the Lightning Network would take so much of the capacity of Bitcoin's network that we never see transaction fees rise over $5 or even up to a few dollars. So I'll be watching this closely and see if Bitcoin has any transaction fee crises and I'll report it on this show. And also you should yourself always check how the Bitcoin mempool is doing when you're sending Bitcoin transactions. Because let's say you're at an unlucky moment and you send like a low transaction fee and then the mempool is spiking, you could end up with your Bitcoin not being confirmed for like a day. So you should keep an eye on the Bitcoin mempool also. Moving on to the next story. Grant Thornton wishes the firm that is liquidating Cryptopia. And Cryptopia was a very popular exchange for small to medium cap cryptocurrencies. In fact, a lot of small cap cryptocurrencies depended on Cryptopia because that's where they could get listed and gain some trading value and some community. Well, anyways, Cryptopia is gone and they're being liquidated by Grant Thornton. So Grant Thornton has actually released some statistics about what's going on there. So apparently Cryptopia owes its creditors $2.738 million. And then also the staff at Cryptopia are owed $207,000 for salaries and holiday pay, as well as $177,000 in quote unquote unsecured debts. So like almost half a million dollars owed to the Cryptopia staff. I wonder how big their staff is to be owed like that much money. But anyways, and then they owe their creditors $2.738 million. So this gets a lot of people really angry that we're using Cryptopia because they pretty much read this and think that their money is going to be used to pay off their the creditors for Cryptopia and also the staff salaries. There's no guarantee of that. we got to wait through. It's like a court process. So the court gets to decide what goes on here. But definitely the people that had deposits on Cryptopia, like they own the money they had deposited there. And I don't think the court would decide to use customers money to pay off debts for cryptopia how that would work actually is cryptopia itself would have to pay off those debts with their own money whatever they have and apparently cryptopia does have almost seven hundred thousand dollars in cash 
And but they, out of that, there was a loan of like one hundred and fifty thousand dollars. So they have like about a half a million dollars of cash, and it also has some assets with a value of over one point three million dollars. And but apparently only two hundred fifty thousand dollars of that would be recoverable. So somewhere less than a million dollars is what Cryptopia could pay towards its debts. So what I think the court would do is they would divide up that money that Cryptopia actually owns and pay off the creditors and pay off the salaries with that. A fraction of it and then customers should get their money back but this could take months it is a court process it's kind of like mount gox mount gox still has not paid back any of the people that were using mount gox even though they've been in a process for years so it could be kind of like that except the new zealand version instead of japanese which is what's going on mount gox mount gox was based in japan so we got the japanese courts taking years to send out any payments to people that were using mount gox so We'll see how fast the New Zealand courts can go in comparison. But yeah, it's a bad situation for Cryptopia customers. And the most unfair part, even if they get paid back in the end, the money they had deposited there, first off, they can't touch the money for like a very long period of time and it's in cryptocurrency. So yeah, like they could lose a bunch of money if the market goes down and like literally they would not have any recourse for that. And also, Cryptopia did not warn customers. Cryptopia could have said, hey, we're going out of business and just take this time, like take the next week or take the next month to withdraw everything from our exchange. We're going out of business. They could have done that, but instead they locked up the exchange with customers' money in it and didn't give customers any warning. So yeah, that's a pretty bad situation for the customers and they're pretty angry over that. Moving on to the next story. I'm looking at this interesting chart here of the stablecoin supplies. So the most popular stablecoin is Tether. But Tether has had some serious problems in October and November 2018 or so when literally they lost their bank in Puerto Rico and they had no bank for like a month or two and then they ended up in the Bahamas eventually at Deltic Bank. But yeah, Tether had some serious problems. The price of Tether went down to like 90 cents at one point during that crisis. So that caused the other stable coins such as Paxos, Standard, USD Coin, and TrueUSD, and Gemini Dollar to gain supply. So back in like November and December 2018, like for example, the supply of true USD went up from about 100 million to almost $150 million in circulation. USD coin, well, they kind of launched. So USD coin launched right during that crisis. So they went from like zero to like 200 million really quick during that crisis for Tether. And USD coin's a primary competitor for Tether. And then we had Paxos Standard went from near zero also. So Paxos Standard launched around the time Tether had its problems. So like when Tether had its first problems in October, November, and like December 2018, a lot of stable coins chose to launch at that point. Well, at least USD Coin and Paxos Standard launched at that exact moment at that opportune time. And Tree USD was one that already existed, and they went up from about $100 million in circulation to like $200 million. So it was like really a boon for stablecoins when Tether first had its banking problems in October through December 2018. And Gemini Dollar launched during that time as well, went from zero to like 100 million. But then Tether has had problems again. So Tether had problems in the past month because the New York Attorney General's office sued Tether Limited and Bitfinex because Bitfinex apparently took over half a million dollars out of Tether's reserves because apparently Bitfinex lost $850 million at crypto capital. So during that time when they didn't have a bank, they were using crypto capital in Panama, and crypto capital got raided by the governments of the United States, Portugal, and Poland. 
So Bitfinex lost $850 million in that raid. And then they went ahead and just took money out of Tether's cash reserves, which was not what's supposed to happen. So that's why the New York Attorney General's office is suing Tether and Bitfinex. That being said, Tether and Bitfinex have gotten a stay in the court, and it seems like the court case is going to take a very long time, and nothing serious is happening yet in the New York Supreme Court. So Tether's looking fine for now. And the interesting thing is Tether's supply has actually jumped from around $2 billion of supply on April 1st. It kept going up all the way to $3.1 billion now. So back when Tether first had its crisis in like October 2018, its supply was around $2.8 billion. And then it went down to like $1.7 billion at its lowest. So Tether lost $1.1 billion of its circulation as people fled out of Tether during that first crisis in the latter part of 2018. And that's when we saw Paxos, Standard, and USD coin, and Gemini dollar launch. And they took some of that supply. But then recently, now we're seeing Tether at a new all-time high for circulating supply of $3.1 billion, despite what's going on in the New York Supreme Court. So that's a strong vote of confidence for Tether. But aside from that, uh, during the first phase of what happened with the New York Supreme Court and the New York Attorney General's office, there was some fear. Tether did go down in price for like a couple of weeks. And the circulating supply of other stablecoins did go up. So USD coin... Circulating supply went from about $250 million up to about $350 million during that time. So it was a major boon for USD coin. And true USD went up from about $200 million to almost $250 million. And then we have Paxos Standard really jumped from about $100 million to $200 million. So we saw the other stablecoins jump in supply again. So just like it happened during that first crisis in the latter part of 2018, when they jumped in supply, they jumped again in the past month due to the lawsuit in the New York Supreme Court against Tether. But the one coin that did not go up in the past month was the Gemini dollar. So the Gemini dollar actually went down from about $50 million of circulating supply to like maybe like $20 million of circulating supply. So... Paxos Standard, USD Coin, and True USD also big gains from the crisis going on at Tether, but Gemini Dollar did not. Gemini Dollar went down instead. So Gemini Dollar is looking like the weakest stablecoin right now by far. And aside from that, like I said, Tether itself went up a lot in circulating supply too. People just really want Tether. They don't really care about that lawsuit in the New York Supreme Court. So that's all I have for you today on this May 31st, 2019 edition of the Crypto.IQ Daily Radio Show. Come back Monday for another exciting episode and go to Crypto.IQ 24-7 for the most interesting stories in the Bitcoin and crypto space. Also join that Crypto.IQ trading desk. They have made over 400% profit since July, even in the worst of the bear market. And if you join the Crypto.IQ trading desk, you can see their trades in real time and there's a full trade analysis with each trade. Just by reading that, you can become an expert cryptocurrency trader and it gets even better. You can ask the Crypto.IQ traders questions in real time and they'll answer your questions pretty quickly. So joining the Crypto.IQ trading desk is the best way to become an expert and profitable cryptocurrency trader. This is your host, Space Marine, signing out. I remain in space.